and welcome to Australia on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Melinda Farrell. Joining me, as always, is Bharat Sundaresan, Australia's favourite son. Australia on 99.94 is your new home for your Australian content, and we will be dropping into your podcast feed and everywhere else, on YouTube, on the 99.94 app, several times every week. So please rate, review and subscribe. Get in contact with us on Twitter. We love hearing from you. And thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Uh, today, we've got a few things to talk about. We're, we're going to start off, well, later in the show, we're going to be talking about uh, the, the series between Australia and England, that second ODI, Stark with the new ball again, which is how it should always be, I think, and uh, we'll hear what Barrett thinks about that. And uh, we'll also be talking about the captaincy conundrum. Very interesting to see Josh Hazelwood come in and captain in the absence of Pat Cummins. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. First of all, how are you, Barrett? Just checking. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for asking, Mel. No, I'm doing very well. Um, I was just thinking about uh, you saying we drop on this platform several times a week. This is the first time we're doing it twice in the same week. We are very honest about this. Uh, the World Cup was rather busy for us. But yeah, I mean, uh, you were ready to record yesterday itself, the uh, day after we had recorded it. I wanted a break. Not from you. Of course, not from you. But I just thought like, you know, we should not... Um, yeah, we, we, you know, we shouldn't set the bar too high. No, yeah. <laughs> it's never, well, neither we'll, for we'll King doing, Jared nor for our listeners. Yeah, we, we, we'll also be doing, probably I think we'll be doing some extra episodes once we Ca- get in towards we'll those. Up, yeah. Yeah, well, also we've, there's, there's a lot of cricket that's about to come, yeah. very focused on Australia as we head into the season. So we'll have a lot, a lot to talk about in the coming months uh, as well. Uh, but I've actually just come across the road from the MCG and the weather is just horrendous. It is that typical Melbourne thing where it's not four seasons in a day, mm. it's four seasons every 15 minutes. And <laughs> the training, I mean, Australia were just in the indoor nets. England, I felt so sorry for them, they were outside in the sunshine and then two minutes later it was pelting down, everyone ran inside and then two minutes later it was sunny and there were no clouds again. So some of them were then running back outside. So horrible lopsided um, training session going on. But let's give the the first bit of major attention, as it should rightly go, to yes. the retirement of Rachel Haynes, uh, current Australian vice captain, but she has captained Australia before as well. She, it feels like she's been around forever, really, probably the the player who is, has played through and been part of that previous generation along with, say, your uh, Elise Perry, uh, Elise Perry's and has seen Australia into this new era. Uh, and she has decided to to hang up the boots. She's achieved everything. She's won everything. Uh, she got was there for the Commonwealth Games, so that was kind of another new thing ticked off on her to-do list and she's now decided to give it away. She's a player, Barrett, I think, mm. as has probably been underappreciated by the casual sort of cricket yeah. watcher, if that makes sense. I think anyone who's watched the game a lot knows how valuable she is to the team. But she's kind of been a bit of an unsung hero, I think. I think she it's almost by choice as well, right? Even listening to um, um, her talk about her career and her retirement last uh, evening, 
uh, at the North Sydney Oval, you could you could sense that um, all that fanfare around her was still slightly uh, she's slightly uncomfortable with it. Uh, and you're right. I mean, she's been around for so long and played such a key role as a senior figure from a very young age, if you think about it, right? In that side is that if you are just an average cricket fan who just dabbles in with a little bit of women's cricket here and there, you'd almost started taking her for granted that, yeah, the name R. Haynes is always there, right? Either at the top of the order or at number three, number four, wherever. Um, it's always there. And uh, she, and, and without getting very excited about her, uh, without really getting to know how important she was to this dream run that Australian women's cricket has had in the last uh, 10 or so years, especially in the last five or so years. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of uh, a player who, you know, even if might she might not mean much to um, a lot of uh, casual fans of women's cricket, she means more than anything to, uh, or more than the world, to those who played with her. More than anything, right? Forget about you and me and you in particular who's seen a lot of Australian women's cricket over the years. Uh, but just the respect she's had in that dressing room and uh, just some of the stories that are coming coming out about her, about how fun she was off the, off the field and you know just the, uh, the role she played on the field. It, it, yeah, just, just how much respect for Rachel Haynes. And uh, yeah, definitely she'll be missed. You know, Australian women's cricket seems to be on this juggernaut like where they keep producing these special talents every other day almost, it feels like. But the... We'll, that absence of Rachel Haynes will be felt when whenever they get onto the field the next time as an international team. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've spoken to her a lot over the years and I've also spoken to people like Matthew Mott, Meg Lanning and others about her as well. And I think the thing that people probably don't realise about her so much is how heavily uh, Matthew Mott and mm. Meg Lanning relied on her. So when Australia had that exit from the 2017 World Cup, when they were bundled out by Harmon Creek Corps' magnificent innings, they talked about that you know, all the time afterwards as their crucible moment. And they went away and they came back and had this meeting, uh, team meeting and camp in, in Brisbane. And that was when the real rebuild came. And there was a lot of talk about the accountability and what they were doing. She was a huge driver of the the change that happened within that. And I think also she used to take the barometer of the team and be a really good sort of filter um, in giving Matthew Mott information that he needed because she's she's an incredibly, not just an incredibly astute cricket person, she's very mature uh, and very, I think, really in tune with, how other people are very empathetic. So Matthew Mott relied on her heavily to sort of gauge where the team was at and and what they were doing. And then Meg Lanning could more just focus on the crickety side of stuff yeah. and the tactical stuff, all of that sort of thing. But Rachel Haynes was also very important in, you know, being someone for her to feed off as well. So that that's the extent of her importance in that team. I, I think she was arguably as important as as Meg Lanning as far as as that team's transfer and yeah. Matthew Mott in, the, in that team's transformation. So her her loss will be absolutely huge. Yeah. I think also part of the reason that she's under um, maybe underappreciated is that we're now in an age where 
you know, I mentioned Harmon Pre-Core, but even in Australian cricket, you look at some of the big hitters we have yeah. in the game, like Elisa Healy and Beth Mooney, the big power hitters. Yeah. And you don't always associate her with that. But I, in that game, it's a, semi-finals, she, she's played some huge roles in World, World Cups. And in the, the T20 World Cup in Australia a couple of years ago, they were three for 10 against Sri Lanka and would have been knocked out. She came in and got 60 off 40 odd in that game. And so she, she could actually score very quickly when needed. And she did the same sort of thing in, in uh, the Caribbean a couple of years earlier as well, where semifinals in, in the West Indies, she helped really get them through there. So she's always been that person. It hasn't been the big standout Final mm. performance has been in yeah. semi-finals. It gets them there, and that yeah, yeah, probably yeah. sums her up, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, and <clears throat> we've seen players like that in team sport for over the years, right? In men's sport, women's sport, cricket, non-cricket as well. And uh, yeah, and, and for me, Rachel Haynes almost always stood for uh, stability. Like when you saw Rachel mm. Haynes out there, you knew, um, you know, Australia was safe. Uh, there was that she was the safety blanket to this team, uh, and I think that's why they'll they'll miss her uh, even more. Like I, I remember interviewing Beth Mooney a couple of years ago, and about how she uh, doesn't really f- like the limelight, and she how she was getting used to it. Um, well, if you think about Rachel Hinch, she she comes in at a time when you know women's cricket is growing in popularity in Australia. It hasn't reached the peak that it has now. Uh, so for her to just kind of blend in who she was and. The role she played, like you said, such a senior figure, um, and then keep producing those kind of performances, which kind of always went under the radar because she wasn't, um, not that Alicia Healy and Elise Perry are flashy, but it's just the cricket, the kind of cricket they play just stands out a lot more, even Beth Mooney for that matter. So, yeah, I mean, uh, a great career and like so good to see uh, it get the right amount of coverage that uh, it deserves. Yes, uh, actually, actually, that stood out to me as well. Wonderful to see that happening because you probably wouldn't have seen that in years past. So certainly, I, I hope that that, that uh, the world of cricket doesn't lose her completely because she's absolutely a great star of the game. Anyway, we've got a lot more to talk about, and we are trying to be better at being snappy because <laughs> because we have the habit of just talking for hours and hours, which we can do. But we're going to take. Yeah, not he's pointing at me like it's me and not him, please. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but we'll be back with more in a moment. I'm Daniel Norcross. And I'm Rory Dollard. And between us, we are England Cricket on 99.94. We'll be every week looking at the ups, the downs, the runners, the riders, the news and the views on all things English cricket. And believe you me, there are plenty of ups and downs. Join us, England Cricket on 99.94. Okay, well, as I said earlier, I'm in Melbourne. The weather's dreadful. Uh, be interesting to see how many people rock up to this game because it's been hard to put this series into context uh, so soon after a World Cup and with a one-day World Cup still 11 months away. Uh, and it's now a dead rubber because Australia have taken a 2-0 lead with another pretty comfortable victory mm. um, in terms of, you know, the run rate was never a problem. It was just the fact England kept losing wickets in the end. But there are a couple of things that were interesting about that second 
ODI. Mitch Stark is missing out on this third ODI in Melbourne. He's stayed back in Sydney and Riley Meredith has come Mm. into the squad. Uh, But he was back with a new ball barrack. And mm. it was like watching, you know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers did make movies with other people, okay? Yeah. But when they put on their shoes and they were gliding across the floor, it's like why would you ever really want to separate Fred and Ginger? And for me, Mitch Stark is Fred and the new ball is Ginger. They, they should. And, and Swing Time, one of the best Fred and Ginger movies and swing time, Mitchell Stark. It's perfect. Fred and Ginger, Mitchell Stark, new ball. Why would you ever move away from that? Uh, <clears throat> that's for the old school romantics out there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know we're talking about Mitchell Stark, but I have to say, this, stop laughing, Mel. Growing up, I was always confused between uh, Fred Astaire and uh, Frank Sinatra. I don't know why. Look, you know, I grew up in Mumbai, yeah, so I used to just watch a bit of Fred Astaire here and there on uh, uh, what we used to call it. There was a channel. So Cartoon Network would become Turner classic movies and invariably they would show all these movies. I obviously watched a lot of cartoons as a child. And when I wasn't watching wrestling, I was watching Fred Astaire. So I, I get the reference. So thanks for that. And, and also the Australian fans, the Benos, generally sing that song for Mitchell Stark, right? It's Mitchell Stark, the new ball king. And uh, he has been the new ball king for so many years. I, I think I put this out on Twitter. It's like you don't split them up as a couple. And you said Fred and Ginger... Um, I can think of, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Rambo or uh, Sylvester Stallone and Rocky or uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator. Yeah, the difference is they're the same person. <laughs> one's just I, a character and one's an actor. Fine. All right. I just wanted to like, you know, speak about my vintage growing up, Mel. Sorry. Uh, hang on. Let's just point out. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers are not my vintage. I'm just I just saying. happen to be a classic movie buff. That is true. You did tell me a lot about um, that other famous movie in Pakistan, <laughs> the the one where um, there's a guy who goes to prison for stealing a piece of bread and you and Jeff kept singing songs from that. What's that one called? <laughs> Les Miserables. Ah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we were on the streets of Karachi and you guys couldn't stop talking about Les Miserables. But uh, yeah, <laughs> or however it's pronounced. We're back to Mitchell Stark and uh, the new ball, Love. Uh, yeah, the, look, we spoke about this during the World Cup as well. It was He had a strange World Cup where he took the new ball against New Zealand. Finn Allen went after him and pretty much everyone else. Then Australia changed his role and he started coming in the middle overs and, uh, uh, you know, bowled that one over in the death. And he, I remember when I asked him the question in Brisbane, you were there as well. He just, he didn't say it, but he could make out that he wanted the new ball. Uh, and then we get to Adelaide and he doesn't even play. So it yeah. is a, str- a strange World Cup for Mitchell Stark. But yeah, I mean, you look at the last 250-over World Cups, the impact he's had with the new ball. Um, and he has been the new ball king. So, no, it's only... Uh, it was good to see uh, even the ball he bowled in Adelaide to get rid of... Uh, uh, was it Jason Roy? The, the in-swinger that he bowled yes. to get... Uh, it, and once again to get uh, rid of... Uh, Milan. The, the ball, that, that ball that got Milan out Yeah. Was- Absolutely ridiculous. That we, was just Mitchell like Stark that. at his best, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that was that was Fred Astaire just setting yes. the stage, the screen on fire. Like that was like Mitchell Stark. That that was that was Fred Astaire basically spinning Ginger Rogers around and then leaping over a, I don't know, in a gazebo. They do do a number in a gazebo. I can tell you that. that, that but that was that moment, like where he swings her around and she lands perfectly, and it was, it was that moment. It was the climax. 
to uh, to one of their best scenes, I think. I, I'm also more a Ginger Baker guy than Ginger Rogers, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was interesting him talking about it afterwards as yeah. well because the, the, the other thing I like about Mitch is that he'll always – He'll let you know that he's yeah. not happy with it. And he, he made those comments afterwards that, you know, he'd had a discussion with George Bailey and and it would stay there, but he made his thoughts known. Uh, the, the thing is, so reading that, uh, uh, reading, I know you, you're a Crick Buzz man, but I, I did note that, that Crick Info did put that stat out about, sorry, sorry, V, but just about <laughs> how many, you know, yeah. how often that he's taken more yeah. wickets in the first over in ODIs than any other bowler in the past 10 years. And he's basically, in ODI cricket, he, he does what Shaheen Shafridi does so well in T20 cricket, right? Yeah. It's that threat straight up and that just really knocked England, set them back. That first over that he bowled was was yeah. absolutely brilliant. And it's hard. so he has those... He's one of those bowlers, isn't he, where sometimes he'll have those days when people do go after him and it just doesn't really happen. But he's also but he so he also does things that so few bowlers can do like that in in with the new ball early on. And especially this new ball, this new white kookaburra that's actually swinging a little bit more um at the moment. So yeah, it's a strange one. I, I th- also thought it was interesting how he was talking a lot about, you know, the IPL and what, what's he supposed to do. He he loves Test cricket. He wants to prioritise Test cricket. But then when he does get into a white ball side and then if he's not used the right way and there, there's people are saying, oh, maybe he should go and play in the IPL because then, you know, he might be better, for want of a, another word, at, at T20 strategically bowling. but. Um, I, I don't know. I, I sort of sympathise with him a bit in that how do you manage your career? And and when you do care about Test cricket, you want to – You're he's obviously a stupendous white ball talent yeah, uh, and should be used by Australia, but he, he can't flog himself into the ground playing every series. Oh, no. I mean, I think in the modern um, era of cricket, there are no bad choices if you're a player. Till the time you – uh, stay accountable for it and uh, and you own up to it. And Mitchell Stark at every given point has explained why he doesn't go and play in the IPL. Um, and, and fair on him. Like, you know, if he wants more family time, uh, you nobody can hold that against him. Until the time the Australian selectors are not focusing, um, or, or focusing on his um, performances in the IPL or the fact that he doesn't play in the IPL when it comes to picking him for white ball sides, how does it even matter, right? Like, you know, if he continues, I can't see an Australian team playing the 50-over World Cup next year in India without Mitchell Stark. No. And at that point, he also gets, he's closer to his mid-30s, you would think. 50-over um, cricket might, uh, like with, like David Warner said the, the other day, uh, he might not want to play 50-over cricket. So, uh, no, I think uh, it's it's only fair. And we spoke about, touched upon this last week, right? Like how David Warner has gone from, saying that he might retire from test cricket first two years ago to, oh no, uh, from one day cricket, T20 cricket first two years ago to now two years on or three years on saying he might give up test cricket first. So I think it's it's a moving feast, as they say in Australia. See, I got it right this time. I don't know what as I As opposed to, to the travelling feast, was Travelling feast, of course. Yeah, that's just an Indian wedding. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and Mitchell Stark with the new ball is like Fred Astaire and Ginger, <laughs> not Baker, Ginger Rogers selling out theatres, First day, first show, 
with yeah. every every movie they made. Uh, made movies together. Yeah. That's good. I'm I'm glad I've I'm glad I've got, I'm going to make you watch some Fred Astaire and Ginger oh, for sure. clips, right? I I will. I'll also guys. I know you you are also getting mixed up with Gene Kelly. Uh, from Singing in the Rain. So I might make you watch some of those. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're going to take another short break and come back and we're going to discuss a bit more about that that ODI and the the captaincy, Mm. which threw everyone a little curveball. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, I'm Nikesh Raghani, commentator and host of the India on 99.94 podcast. Several times each week, my co-host Sarah Waris and I will be bringing you the very best in Indian cricket chat. Whether we're discussing the legend of Julan Goswami, Kale Rahul's strike rate, the men's T20 death bowling woes, or the latest controversy involving the BCCI, we've got you covered. You can listen and subscribe via your usual podcast provider. Just search for India on 99.94. You can watch us via YouTube and you can download the 99.94 app. If you love Indian cricket, then join our conversation. Welcome back to Australia on 99.94. Now, Bharat, I think all of us had, we we all raised our eyebrows a little bit when Pat Cummins sat out and um, you had, there's a vice captain in Steve Smith's done a a fair bit of of vice captaincy. Alex Carey has has had his share of leadership moments in that team. Um, But out came Pat Cummins and in came Josh Hazelwood for the first time. I I can't recall him ever captaining before. I was actually asking uh, the New South Wales guys. He's, he's not really captained at that level. They were estimating that the last time he captained was probably, if he ever has, was as a kid. Um, so uh, it was a very interesting choice. I have my theories on why they went that way. I'd like to hear yours. Oh, I mean, A, he was, if you remember, co-vice captain with Travis Head for a while in test cricket. So, I mean, who knows what would have happened if uh, Tim Payne had gotten injured at that point. Like, Which one of those two would have been captain? We would never know. Uh, but yeah, I was. I took me by surprise for sure uh, when I read that, you know, it's going to be Josh Hazelwood. Uh, and my theory... I've stuck to this theory from the day Pat Cummins was named as one-day captain. That, uh, and with the news today uh, about you know how Australia have changed uh, a bit of their constitution uh, in terms code of, of conduct, code of conduct, like yeah, which is, isn't it part of the constitution? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. That just sounds. It just sounds very like yeah. <laughs> constitutional right to captain Australia. <laughs> I, I think it is a constitutional right. I, I mean, as part of the Cricket Australia Constitution. We'll have to get Dan Bredig on the show to know exactly what it's called. But yeah, the whole code of conduct thing has been changed where some people can challenge uh, sanctions that are placed on him. And it's, you know, let's face it, it's all about basically, those are just very academic professionals uh, terms that are being used to say that David Warnock is open to Captain Australia again at some point. And this is what I expected the day Pat Cummins was named as one-day captain and just listening to him talk about how he's not going to play every game. And, you know, he plays one game and he's, like he had said, he doesn't play the second game. So he captains one, uh, uh, captains Australia in one ODI and the second ODI they bring Josh Hazelwood in, uh, which surprised me. I mean, look, they could have gone to Alex Carey who did captain them in the Caribbean last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, it's still everything points at eventually David Warner taking over and... I 
I'm sticking my neck out here. I have a feeling David Warner will be Australia captain at the next 50-over World Cup. Uh, that's that's been my theory all along, and I I don't see anything that has happened between then, about a month ago, when Cummins was named ODI captain, and now that changes my opinion. If anything, it just strengthens my opinion. And so Hazelwood is more like obviously just a, a stand-in captain. Uh, you know, it's great. I mean, Bumrah, Cummins, and Hazelwood captaining their countries <laughs> in the same year is quite something. Uh, I'll, I'll I generally don't take credit for stuff that I put on Twitter. But I did say sometime last year about how Cummins and Bumrah, imagine if they are captaining each, against each other in a test match. And we're getting closer and closer mm. to that reality. I didn't expect it to happen three, four months uh, from when I tweeted that out. But uh, yeah, maybe I knew something I, that others did not. But yeah, I really do think this. that's my theory, Mel. I would love to hear this to yours. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you're right. I basically think this that it's a them getting Josh Hazelwood to do it, although it, it, it would have made more sense to me if it had been Alex Carey, to be yeah. honest. But maybe it's like a bit of a reward for Josh Hazelwood. I don't know. Maybe it's just that the fast bowling cartel yes. is it's all powerful now in Australia. We'll see. We'll see Starkey captaining um, sometime down down the track. Well, I asked, yeah. Oh, I asked Adam Zampa actually. I was like, well, you know, when do you get a when do you get a go, or is it just the fast bowlers? But uh, I think he'd very much like to. Uh, but I think that this is the caution approach. I do yeah. think that's the biggest hindrance to Dave Warner being captain will be the caution about public opinion. Yes. Um, because yeah. we know, and we, we touched on this the other day, and the, the funny thing is it was just neither of us had Josh Josh Hazelwood as captain on our bingo card. We went we went through almost every other future option, but we didn't have that one. Um in a way, it's a little bit of kicking the can down the road, especially in Australia during the summer. So it would be a big story if Dave Warner ended up captaining Australia in Australia, I think, would be the biggest mm. story. And it would be a matter of, of, I think, if they can, just kind of taking the temperature of the Australian public by him doing it. And and I don't know what that would be. I, I do know that I've spoken to a lot of people who have some very strong opinions, just just in the public generally, and yeah, people yeah, yeah. in the public have, as they're, they're more important in this conversation than you and I are. Yeah, right? yeah. It's, it's a no. Who cares what we think in terms of sell, buying tick, people buying tickets and merchandise and turning on TVs? It's nothing to do with us. It's those people who've got those opinions on whether or not they like the Australian team or not, and it's been through a bit of a rough year. Uh, going back to Tim Payne's exit, Justin Langer's exit, yeah. all the other stuff that's happened with, you know, Pat Cummins and, and Alinta and everything else. So it it does relate back to what I said the the other day about the fragility of the the Australian men's team post Sandpaper Gate and taking what the public will accept, rightly yeah. or wrongly. It's not up to us to judge that. It's just what they feel. It'll be interesting then if if your if it does come true and the your prediction on Warner captaining the next fifty over World Cup that's probably a, an easier sell than a World Cup at home than say if he'd captained Australia in this T Twenty World Cup. Yeah, I think that would if they'd managed to get the code of conduct change through before the World Cup, 
that that would have been quite interesting to me. I I, I just yeah, I, I just feel like if if Pat Cummins can be set upon by a load of people and he's the golden child of Australian cricket can do no wrong. Uh, you can imagine what would happen if Warner was captain of the Australian team and they had a bad performance. I think there'd be quite a few people ready to do that as well. So, and I, I'm not making any judgments on that. I'm just trying to get a sense of where the public's at because uh, we've had quite a few interesting conversations in recent time with just general fans and the yeah, they've got some work to do. And and this is it. I don't think any of us knew just what might be the long-term effects of Sandpaper Gate were and everything that built up to Sandpaper Gate. I think this goes back to Michael Clark and get ready for a broken effing arm and, you know, um, scared eyes and, and brain fake, all of those things. It's all collapsed. We're still seeing how fragile that is. And, you know, I just don't know. I think that Josh Hazelwood coming in is a way of just pushing it in the background for now. And I think they'll keep making safe choices during the Australian summer unless they decide to test it with Warner at some stage. But it'd be pretty tough, I think, here. I think they'll be very cautious about that. They don't have to worry about that at all, considering after this ODI, there are just five test matches. That's the only international... Excuse me. Um... I don't think they have to worry about that at all because if you look at the home summer after this ODI in Melbourne, which could well be washed out according to what you're saying, uh, which David Warner will not be captaining, um, they have just the five test matches, two against West Indies and three against South Africa, which if Pat Cummins doesn't captain, anyway, Steve Smith's there as vice captain and we did see him captain Australia in that Adelaide yeah, test last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, but just on that point, can you imagine if, if, if Pat Cummins has to miss one of the South African tests? And then Steve Smith will be captain. Exactly. Like it, 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 it all sort of happened really suddenly when he did it in the Ashes. Yeah. But it, I, I, that would again, that would be quite become quite a big story if he ended up captaining against South Africa in the first series that their test series they played since Sandpaper game. Yeah, but almost you get a feeling that um, a lot of the Australian public that you spoke about. Are always have always been more sympathetic towards Steve Smith than David Warner. I mean, like, like, like whoever you speak to, and I've spoken to a lot of people, or people have come and spoken to me about how their uh, interest in cricket waned after Sandpaper Gate. Mm. Uh, and for a lot of people, the, just the average fans who watch cricket occasionally, um, like David Warner became that figure of, uh, or, or, or like the face of whatever happened in Cape Town. With Steve Smith, it almost feels like, he got forgiven a lot sooner for a variety of reasons, I guess. Uh, but yeah, uh, just going back to Warner. So those five test matches, you won't expect him to captain there. He plays a handful of BBL games. Maybe they could try it out there. But between now and that 50-year World Cup, Australia don't play at home. Mm. So he could easily just fit in as captain, play the 50-year World Cup, retire from one-day cricket, and Australia never has to see David Warner captain <laughs> Australia in Australia. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's how the schedule is. So, in a way, this comes at, at a great time for, for Australia. Anyway, I don't think they look at him as a test captain, right? Like, you no. have Pat Cummins now mm. and Steve Smith, uh, who Pat Cummins handpicked as his vice captain, if you remember. Uh, and then moving forward, who knows? Uh, and David Warner's anyway said he could well be contemplating retirement from uh, test cricket. So, um, unless he becomes a late choice as their T20 captain, there's no reason for... Cricket Australia to worry about you know even having David Warner as captain on home soil. So it, 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 it's it will be really interesting to see how it plays out. But 
Uh, if they were to go in that direction, I think it, this could well be the best time for them to do that. Well, we shall see. We do know that uh, Bharat is a bit of a Bharatradamus. Mm. I just came up with that then. Um, that sounds very good. I'm kind of, kind of happy with that. Um, no, but we'll wrap it up there. We'll be back again after the third ODI to maybe look at the wash up there. We're going to start to look forward to the rest of the summer as well. There's a, there's a lot coming up. Thanks for listening to Australia on 99.94, where we speak cricket. When do we speak cricket? Every day. Well done. Uh, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at BeastieBoy07 and at Melinda Farrell. Never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. Cricket, every day, your way. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.